Let's just bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we rejoice today that you are the governor of nations. We rejoice today that you, by faith in Jesus Christ, are our Father, that you are our Savior, that you are our friend, that you are the soon-returning King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we rejoice today that nothing ever surprises you. And we rejoice that you promise to give us everything we need for life and godliness. So I pray today that you would help us to see things from your perspective, help this gathering to make us more effective in representing you in this world that you have called us to. And Lord, I pray that you and you alone would be glorified through this time, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned that um, this last week the Supreme Court um, made a couple of decisions um, one of both of them, um, one dealt with Obamacare, and I'm not getting into all the political ramifications. And one dealt with um, same-sex marriages. And in each of their rulings, there's many, many things that are cause for concern. But um, one, they they completely violated Scripture. I mean, the Constitution, first of all. Completely violated the Constitution. And, and you may be here, and if you're visiting with us here today, I say thank you for visiting, and uh, I hope you um, have, a, have an understanding in where we're coming from here. It is imperative for us that we speak not what we think, not what others think, but what God thinks. And regarding this Supreme Court ruling um, that it violates the Constitution, the Supreme Court Justice Scalia, who gave a dissenting, wrote a dissenting, meaning he was against the decision, the um, same-sex ruling came down five to four, and, um, and this is what he said. Today's decree says that my ruler and the ruler of 32 million Americans coast to coast is a majority of the nine lawyers on the Supreme Court. By what he's saying there is, our nation was raised up to be a rule of law. It wasn't a rule of um, representatives. It wasn't a rule of dictators. It wasn't a rule of man. It is a rule of law. And we don't have time to go into all of this, but this is foundational. And um, what Justice Scalia said here is there has been a drastic move that has been happening over the years from a rule of law 
to he says, now the ruler in America are the nine justices, uh, that the nine lawyers that sit on the Supreme Court. He goes on, he says, this practice of constitutional revision, as it is today by extravagant praise of liberty, robs the people of the most important liberty they asserted in the Declaration of Independence and won in the Revolution of 1776. This important liberty is the freedom to govern themselves. He said that he is referring to what until now had been the rights of the states to set their own policies on marriage. He said that right was the American democracy at its best since it let people across the country weigh in and help determine state policies on marriage. Another dissenting judge, Chief Justice Roberts, said, It is one thing for the majority to conclude that the Constitution protect the right to same-sex marriage. It is something else to portray everyone who does not share the majority's better informed understanding as bigoted. Another justice said, I assume that those who cling to old beliefs will be able to whisper their thoughts in the recesses of their homes, but if they repeat those views in public, they will risk being labeled as bigots and treated as such by governments, employers, and schools. You know, when you live in history, you don't realize it is history until sometime later. Um, how many of you were alive in 1973? There was a profound Supreme Court decision that was made in 1973. Remember what it was? Roe versus Wade. But how many of us, when that was made, said, whoa, this is life-changing? Very few of us. We, we, we weren't even aware of it. My father was actively campaigning against that. And back in that day, the only people that he could, could um, find that would agree were Catholics. In evangelical circles, it was, oh, it was like it doesn't matter. Well, 60 million deaths later we realize, wow, that decision had a profound impact. This last week, there was a profound impact made that history will bear out. And we're living through it, and it is something that we have to learn, okay, God, how do I respond to this? The Supreme Court's ruling violates the Constitution, and without going further into that, um, let me just leave it at that. It also reverses millennia, that's thousand years, thousands of years of history throughout 
throughout history, for thousands of years, mankind has had the fundamental understanding that a marriage is made up of one man and one woman. And apparently, because we've believed we've evolved and we're wiser and smarter now, um, we're correcting the thousands of years of millennia of history that has apparently been wrong these years. Now, those as important as they are do not even come close to the importance of this next point that primarily I want to deal with today. Yes, the Supreme Court ruling violates the Constitution. Yes, it reverses millennia of history. But the Supreme Court's ruling is open rebellion against God Almighty. It is open rebellion against the laws of nature and nature's God. Thomas Jefferson said, If a law is unjust, a man is not only right to disobey it, he is obligated to do so. The Supreme Court has spoken. But God is unchanged. It's not just, a, and, and I hear this argument, and you've heard me say it before, it's, this is a false argument to say the majority of the people in America are opposed to this. That's not why something is right or wrong, because the majority is for it or against it. It's right or wrong because God says something about it. And if the majority thinks something is right and God says it's wrong, it is still wrong. It is open rebellion against God. And it is a law, as the Declaration of Independence says, of nature's God. And God established these principles for our well-being. I'm not going to go into great detail today in the relation that homosexuality is a sin problem. It is a heart problem. We are all born with wrong desires. We are all born as sinners. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let, well, let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and then let me share with you 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, 
nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But look at verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Notice he gives a list. And in the list is one thing, homosexuality. But the list includes many other things. Adulterers, idolaters, fornicators, thieves, covetous. He says, you know that those who live and practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then it's the good news of the gospel. Such were some of you. You had wrong desires. You were born with wrong desires. We were born with wrong desires. We were born to protect self. We were born to lie. We were born to be selfish because we were born in sin. And no different than adultery or idolatry or sexual perversion or greed. Those are all problems of the heart that we have that we are born with. And Jesus Christ alone is the cure for sin. Whether it be whatever sin you want to name. So, it is important for us to understand God loves sinners. That means we are to love sinners. And God loves sinners, and He didn't approve the sin and say, Oh, I just want you to know I love you. Even though you'll be separated from Me for all eternity in the lake of fire, know that I love you. No, He loved the world so much. He loved we as sinners so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him can have a heart change. No longer love self. No longer be controlled by greed. No longer controlled by lust. And He loved us enough to give His Son to give us spiritual life so that we could walk in victory over what controlled our heart. That's the same message that must be brought to every sinner. God forbid that anyone here or any Christian has a holier-than-thou attitude that those people look at that and they're despicable. We're all despicable apart from Christ. And the answer is Jesus Christ alone. It is open rebellion against God that is what concerns my heart today. You don't shake your fist at God 
and have God wink at you as a nation. You don't shake your fist at God as a human being and have God tap you on the head. It'll be all right if you sing, God bless America. God has mightily blessed America. As no other nation apart from Israel, God has blessed this land. But through a steady progression that goes back many, many decades, we have blatantly turned away from God to the point that this may be the last straw. Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. If you don't follow the builder's design, you will labor in vain to build it. Whether the Supreme Court says, no, that's okay, or whether churches say, no, that's okay, or whether the majority says, no, that's okay, when God says, no, that's not okay, that's the final verdict. I want to give you three reasons why I am not optimistic that things will be turned around. And then I want to give you four reasons why I am optimistic. You say, that's a contradiction. Well, just hold on and hopefully you'll see that it's not. Why I am not optimistic that things will be turned around is number one, because of history. You go, go back through the history of mankind, and any time that a nation openly and publicly endorsed homosexuality, God brought judgment. This is a long-standing practice that you can go throughout history, and you can see that. Number two, I am not optimistic that things will be turned around because of what I read in Romans chapter 1. If you would turn to Romans chapter 1. (coughs) Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So basically he's saying so far here, he says, there is a wrath of God. It is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, not just homosexuality. And he said it is manifested against those who suppress the truth 
in unrighteousness. He says the truth of God is revealed in nature so that we are without excuse. Notice verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile or vain in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Now notice verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. They exchanged the truth of God, creation, for a lie, evolution, that now worships and serves the creature, not the Creator. See, this is all spiritual warfare. If God is not the Creator, He is not the lawgiver, and He is not the judge. So for years and years and years, they have been teaching God didn't create. You don't believe that fable, do you? We have evolved through millions and millions of years. So there is no lawgiver. We are the lawgivers. And that's what you're seeing brought out. We are now deciding. They exchange the truth of God, creation, for a lie. Evolution. So, God, He is not the lawgiver. Okay, we go on. Verse 26. For this reason, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate or debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-minded. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Three times in this passage, it says God gave them up, or God delivered them over. 
God did not retain them. There comes a point where God gives them up and He says, you go your way. And if you look throughout history, and if you look in Scripture, reading Romans chapter 1, which is like a commentary on our day today, it does not make it me optimistic that things will turn around. And the third area why I'm not optimistic of things turning around in our land today is because I look at prophecy. God has spelled out a rough framework that He's revealed to us of what has taken place and what will take place. Everything that already has taken place God has fulfilled it exactly as He prophesied. From the coming of the Son of Man being born, to His crucifixion, to the parting of His garment, everything was fulfilled exactly as He said in His first coming, and it's going to be fulfilled exactly as He said in His second coming. You read through the Bible, and America is not a major player in end-time prophecies. Everything centers around Israel, and our nation is rapidly moving from a world power to literally on life support. So, for those three reasons, history, Romans 1, and prophecy, I am not optimistic that things will turn around. The key, though, is, you say, man, I didn't want to come here and hear this downer stuff. The key is what we're looking at. Are we looking at the earthly and temporal, or are we looking at the spiritual and the eternal? I am optimistic and confident and filled with hope for four reasons that I'll list, and there are many more. Number one, God is on the throne and in control. Do you understand God was not surprised by the ruling of the Supreme Court? He didn't have to go to his planning room and say, oh no, what do we do now? He is sovereign. He has allowed this to happen. And He has put us here for such time as this. And that, that to me, is exciting. Um, all the rulers, and, and we don't have time to go into um, verses that bear this out, but all the rulers, even the wicked perform the Lord's will. He makes even the devices of the wicked to praise Him. So understand, be encouraged today. God is on the throne. He is in control. And <coughs> nothing can stop His plan. Number two, I am optimistic and confident and filled with hope 
Because truth always prevails. No court can overturn natural law. They can't overturn nature and nature's God. Truth is not decided by the poles or the passage of time, but truth is decided by the one who created time and everything exists because of him. And truth will prevail. There have been many, many times in history that the flickering light of truth looks like it is going to be blown out and disappear. But truth has always survived and truth will prevail. We sang, His truth is marching on. That ought to encourage our hearts. Thirdly, I'm optimistic and confident and filled with hope because the future is as bright as the promises of God. My grace is sufficient for thee. Paul said, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities, in my weaknesses, because when I am weak, then is God strong. What will the future hold? We don't have any idea. But I know this, God's grace is sufficient. I know this, that he said in Hebrews 13:5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I am encouraged. I am hopeful. I am confident. No matter what comes, Jesus Christ will walk with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. I am encouraged that He said He is able to make all things, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good if I love God and I am committed to His purposes. And His purpose is to make us like Christ and to glorify His name through our lives. The future is as bright as the promises of God that He is coming again. The trumpet will sound. I am optimistic and confident and filled with hope. Fourthly, because nothing can separate us from the love of God. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And notice verse 35. In the midst of life, when the storms of life come... When your faith maybe is being battered and shaken, you need to have the anchor of these verses right here. Romans 8:35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God 
which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. Praise God, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Though all the freedoms that we enjoy may be taken away, that can't separate us from the love of God. And we ought to be encouraged in that. If your joy comes from your earthly citizenship, then you will be in trouble. But if your joy comes from your heavenly citizenship, you can have eternal joy. So I am encouraged. God is on the throne. Truth always prevails. The future is as bright as the promises of God. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. So what are we to do? How do we respond? Last Sunday, we challenged the men. What is a man to do? And we said a man is to fear God and not man. A man is to please God and not man. A man is to serve God and not man. And a man needs to build his walk with God. What are we to do? Those four things. But let me share with you a little more practical. What are we to do in the midst of the coming storm? Number one. Make sure you are a child of God and that what you believe is true with the Word of God. This is no time for wavering and waffling on, I think I'm a child of God, or I don't know, or I think I believe this. You had better make sure that you are a child of God And you'd better know what you believe, not based on what your parents tell you, or what a preacher tells you, or a church tells you, or a book tells you, unless that book is the Word of God. And you'd better know what you believe based on the Word of God. Our faith will be tested. And it is important for us to make sure that the the foundation is there. I am a child of God, and this is what I believe. Not just hold up the Bible, this is what I believe. That you know what you believe. And that you're able to give a Bible reasons why you believe what you believe. Secondly, it is important that we live the truth. Build your marriage and build godly marriages. You understand? It's hard to stand for biblical marriage when we have mediocre marriages. When we embrace divorce, when we live in adultery, when... We undermine our marriage with pornography and immorality. Let me be clear to say the homosexual movement has not destroyed marriage. We have destroyed marriage. In our casual approach to marriage, in our settling for mediocrity, in even in Christian circles, the 
if not approving of exchanging one mate for another, at least winking at it and going on. We have said, oh, okay, I understand all the emotional stress and, and we'll set aside, we'll set aside God's law there. It's pretty hard to complain about someone else setting aside God's law when we have set it aside. I know I ought to love my wife, but man, I've got all these things. I set aside God's law. It's pretty hard for me to complain about someone else setting aside God's law. As Christian men, we are to love our wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. See, the number one, the foundational, and this isn't, this isn't glamorous. This isn't a, a thing that will get headlines. The number one thing we as Christians need to do is come back and make our marriages and our homes living testimonies of God's grace and glory. And that takes the work. That takes the dying to self. That takes giving ourselves to be a servant. We have undermined God's plan for marriage. And what we're seeing today is just the next step in it. And and let me just quickly add... This is not the end. Already the movement has started for open marriages and polygamy and bestiality. This is not the end. The barriers have been broken down and there is no limit. We must live the truth. Thirdly, we must pray. Pray for our marriages. Pray for children and grandchildren. Pray for our land. Pray for our elected officials. Before we dismiss today, if there was ever a time that Christians in our land need to get on our face before God, it is now. Before we leave today, if you are able and so inclined, I am going to invite you to kneel where you are. Listen, our nation has said no to God. And we as a remnant of believers need to say, no God, we are bowing in submission to you. And God, would you have mercy and God, would you magnify your name. Remember, Abraham cried out to God in prayer before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you might say, Sodom and Gomorrah were still destroyed. Yes, they were. But God gave time and God rescued Lot and his family from that. The Bible says God marveled when he looked at the people and there was no one interceding. 
We need to be interceding. We need to pray. Fourthly, we need to speak the truth and speak the truth in love. We need to present Christ to every man, whether it's one living in adultery, (coughs) controlled by greed, homosexuality, whatever it is. We need to speak the truth to us. And we need to present Christ to every man. Christ is the only hope. In case you haven't found out yet, there's no political party that's going to bring the answer to this. Christ is the only hope. And if nothing else, Christ can rescue one soul at a time if we speak the truth. We need to engage culture. We need to be in this world, but not of the world. We need to be presenting the truth. We need to make people think. People believe lies so easily. Are you able to reason with them? I had someone say, well, I believe people are born this way. And they were shocked when I said, yes, I believe they're born this way too. Just as much as a pyromaniac is born with the desire to light fires. And just as much as as some people are born with a, a violent anger. And others are born with the desire to have sexual relations with as many people as they can. We're all born with bad desires. But that's why Christ came. To engage culture. To be prepared to stand even if it means suffering. You may say, man, Pastor, you're pretty wound up about this. This is life changing. Do you understand? This is, this is going to affect churches. And unless a church is willing to kowtow and bow under the hand of the government and allow them to dictate what you preach, there may be churches that no longer qualify To be approved by the government, so to speak. The reality is, okay, if you're going to preach that, this isn't the major point, but just to make you think a little bit. You're no longer tax exempt. Do you understand what taxes would be on this property? As I said, that's not the major thing. But is the church this property? Could we say, you know what? We don't need that property. The church isn't a property. The church is the body. Oh, you go to that church, um, you can't deduct that from your taxes. Pretty minor. I wouldn't call that really suffering. 
But when they come and say, we got on your website and we listened to the message and that is a hate crime and you are going to prison, that might be a little more serious suffering. If you think that is not going to happen, I'll get some land in the Evergrade clades to sell to you if you think that. Our, our Supreme Court judges said so much. But let me just read a statement on marriage that Dr. Ronnie Floyd, a pastor, said. And this is a statement that I agree entirely. This is taking a stand. As Christians, we are committed to biblical faith and ethics. As a result, this body of believers stands on the authority of Scripture and God's truth as central to our lives. What the Bible says about marriage is clear, definitive, and unchanging. We affirm biblical, traditional, natural marriage as the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. Notice that, a covenant commitment for a lifetime. The Scripture's teaching on marriage is not negotiable. We stake our lives upon the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. <coughs> Consequently, we will not accept nor adhere to any legal redefinition of marriage issued by any political or judicial body including the United States Supreme Court, we will not recognize same-sex marriages, our churches will not host same-sex ceremonies, and we will not perform such ceremonies. While we affirm our love to all people, including those struggling with same-sex attractions or confused about their biological identity as a male or female, we cannot and will not affirm the moral acceptability of homosexual behavior or any other behavior that deviates from God's design for males and females made in His image, including His plan for marriage. We believe religious freedom is at stake with this critical decision. Consequently, we join together to support those who stand for natural marriage in the corporate world, the marketplace, education, entertainment, media, and elsewhere with our prayers, influence, and resources. Regardless of what the Supreme Court ruled, our first duty is to love and obey God, not man. And that brings us to the final seventh point. What are we to do? We are to obey God. We read in Acts chapter 5 where the disciples were threatened. If you keep talking about this Jesus, we're going to punish you. And they said, that's fine. We ought to obey God, not man. The real test comes down. Will we obey God and not man when things really start getting difficult? Nehemiah chapter 4 
says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And Psalm 33 says, But the plan of the Lord stands forever. The designs of His heart throughout all generations. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon those who fear Him, upon those who count on His mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive through famine. May Your mercy, Lord, be upon us as we put our hope in you. The psalmist said it in a way that we cannot say it more effectively. It is important for us to come back and say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? We've tried to spell out some basic things that could be helpful. Um, tonight, Lord willing, we want to direct your attention on some heart things that we can do to walk in victory. But I believe it's important, as I said earlier, that we go before God in prayer. (coughs) And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you, if you are so inclined and you are able to, to kneel. And I will begin in prayer and then... If God burdens you to lead out in prayer, we'd love to have you do that. I'd ask if you pray that you'd stand up and speak loudly so that others can share with you. If you're not inclined to do that, if you would just go before God and pray for your family and this nation and this church body and Bible believers in our land. These are important days. And these are great opportunities that we have to show the power of God, to show the reality of God at work in our lives, and to understand His ways, and to have our faith strengthened. Let's just go before the Lord even now. If you're able to kneel and